This episode of the Disney Film Project is sponsored by touringplans.com. Head over to touringplans.com and use their tools to save yourself time and money when you are at Walt Disney World or Disneyland. You can use the Lines application on your mobile phone, use the crowd calendar to figure out which parks to hit which days, or use the touring plans to save time and money waiting in line. Touringplans.com is the sponsor of this episode of the Disney Film Project. Welcome again, everyone, to the Disney Film Project podcast. This is the program where we discuss the films of the Walt Disney Company from the big screen to home video and everything in between. I'm Ryan Kilpatrick, host of the program and owner-proprietor over at DisneyFilmProject.com, where we talk about the films of the Walt Disney Company. We do tweet watches, we blog about the shorts, and we do anything and everything related to Disney filmology. I am joined, as always, tonight by my one and only friend, companion, film buff, and general swell guy, Mr. Todd Perlmutter, who is a blogger over at touringplans.com and chief technical officer at disneydrivenlife.com. How are you, Todd? I feel like some hot dogs and buns. I'm not sure what to say to that. <laughs> as long as they're all beef. Don't like that. There you go. Don't like that other stuff or the sawdust things. Yes, I'm, all, I'm always up for some good hot dogs. Actually, let's finish this so we can go have hot dogs. Hot dogs? Hey, yes. we, we can have hot dogs in like a day or two, sorry. Yes, yes we can. <laughs> all right, also joining us this evening, the lovely and talented producer, Miss Cheryl Perlmutter, who you can read about all of the travails that she goes through putting this show together on, on Twitter, at Cheryl P3, or over at about.me slash Cheryl P3. How are you this evening, Miss Cheryl? I'm doing good. Glad to hear it. Relaxing day today. Kind of tired, but managing. All right. I like it. Relaxing days are good. Everybody likes those. Normally, we are joined by one and only Brianna Alessio, who you can find blogging over at Adventures of Brie at adventuresofbrie.blogspot.com. She is our, our other film expert, but she is busy working her way at uh, trying to make enough money to move down to Florida and then join the Disney fandom community extraordinaire uh, on a permanent basis. So tonight, you just got the three of us as we discuss the recently re-released on home video, Blu-ray, DVD, and I'm sure digital download and probably beamed into your eyeballs, Father of the Bride. All right, Father of the Bride, the 1991 remake of the 1950 film, uh, the 1991 Disney, or Touchstone Pictures release, I should say, starring Steve Martin as the Father of the Bride, uh, Kimberly Williams as the bride herself, Diane Keaton as the wife, uh, Martin Short in the unforgettable role of Franck. Franck. Yes, and it is, as I said, a remake of the 1950 film, uh, which was nominated for Best Actor, Best Picture, and Best Writing, uh, which I, that was the immediate thing that struck me when, uh, when in 1991, I did not know this, but when we went to watch it this time, that that had to take a lot of guts to remake uh, the Spencer Tracy and Elizabeth Taylor version of Father of the Bride, because that's <laughs> a pretty uh, impressive cast yeah. from the 1950 version. It, it was also a hugely popular movie. Yes, you know, a lot, and it's a very good movie if you haven't seen it. It, it is. You know what's funny is, um, d did you know that the sequel to Father of the Bride with Steve Martin and Diane Keaton there is is actually a remake of the sequel to the yes, it is. original movie? It's so it's it's kind of sort of very funny that they just kind of carried it forward like that. Yeah, it it is. I mean, it was basically about 40 years later, they just redid the entire thing with Steve Martin instead of Spencer Tracy. Yes. Probably because they wanted to keep the rights. We've mentioned oh. that before. Well, they didn't they, even have the they, rights. They didn't it have was the rights. an MGM they, film. Yeah. Oh. Original was an MGM film, yeah. But they did base it on the same screenplay. They took the, the, the screenplay from the 1950 film uh, by Francis Goodrich and Albert Hackett. And then it was it was reworked in the 1991 film by Charles Shire and Nancy Myers. But 
if you have seen the 1950 film, which I have uh, very recently, actually, I think I saw it a couple months ago, uh, this, the 1991 Steve Martin version is very close um, in, in tone, in uh, scenes and everything. It's, it's, a, it's not a remake where they take the basic concept and throw everything else out. It is pretty, it's not a shot-for-shot shot remake, but it's very close. Is something like Frank? I haven't seen the original. Is something like Frank in the original, or does it that does come out of left field? Yeah, Frank did come out of left field. I'm not gonna lie. Okay. Uh, <laughs> we we can talk more about Frank, but yeah, it was. So I'm assuming we we all saw this originally when it came out, either on home video or or something back in back in the early '90s. I saw it in the theater. And it's yeah. Me, predate Cheryl and I knowing each other too so yeah I, I, I saw it in the theater um, at the time I was a 14 year old boy and I fell in love with Kimberly Williams <laughs> <laughs> she's so. married sorry yeah but you know <laughs> that was that was what I was telling my wife about this is uh, when I watched it this time the, the first time I watched it was then, and, and, and at that time I wanted to be Brian McKenzie, the, the guy that Kimberly Williams' character is going to marry. And this time watching it through, I am Steve Martin. Uh, yes. I was, <laughs> I was tweeting that with Sally this morning, actually, that watching the movie last night, I just pictured you as Steve Martin, her as Diane Keaton, and Lorelai as Kimberly. And I could, like, you know, 10, 10, 12 years from now, I could just see that. Yes, which is why I don't think this movie should be classified as a comedy. It should be classified as a tragedy. <laughs> I, I will say it definitely changes your perspective when you have a daughter uh, and, and, and you watch this film because you can, you can definitely relate. Uh, so the, fil- the film opens with Steve Martin, who, who plays the character of George Banks. Uh, I'm assuming a, a, a distant relative of Mr. Banks from Mary Poppins. I'm just uh, guessing. Actually, intentionally named after George Banks for Mary Poppins. Really? Yes. So, as you know, um, Spencer Tracy's character was named Stanley Banks, right? So, um, in this movie, the full name of the character is George Stanley Banks. So, it's paying homage to the original character from the original movie, and because, it, you know, who had their hands in this, this is it's George Banks, and like I said, intentionally named after the George Banks and Mary Poppins. But he does not march around the house singing, Majestic is the life I lead. He doesn't do that. Well, except he does dance around in a tuxedo later in the movie. Yes, he does. <laughs> uh, I, I, here's the thing, right? Is This is like the perfect vehicle for Steve Martin, in my opinion. Yes, I agree. I, I mean, I've been watching Steve Martin my entire life because, I mean, he, his, the heyday of him being a, a, com, a comedy guy was when I was a you know a youngin converting to a teenager, you know mm-hmm. that was that was it for me. You know he was on. I watched Saturday Night Live live when he was on Saturday Night Live, kind of thing. So okay. consider that. Um, but his ability to take his comedy and meld it into drama, it, it's just genius. I mean, there's no other way to describe it. He really understands the medium so well. Yes, he does. You're right. He's he uh, he has a great sense of how to take a moment and imbue either and, and you can tell it's it's not so much in the dialogue or or his or, or anything like that or what's in the script. He can take a moment and imbue it with either you know emotion or or comedy. And and my only guess is that he learned that from uh, being a skipper on the Jungle Cruise. That's the only thing I can think of. So as as you would expect, this film is about Steve Martin's character George Banks and his daughter Kimberly, played by Kimberly Williams, is Annie Banks, uh, who is going to get married. And the film opens with him in his tuxedo, sitting in his trashed house, uh, recounting the events that led up to that moment. So the entire film is told in flashback. This is exactly the same as the 1950 version. Uh, I have to say, opening with Spencer Tracy was a little was a little different than than George Banks, uh, Steve Martin. So not not good or bad, just different. Uh, they they cast quite a different picture on 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 the screen. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Uh, he, go ahead. He, he spends this time. Uh, I I just like how he quickly to bring you up to speed. He remini- even before the flashing back. He reminisces about her entire life. 
Yes. Right? It, and he does it, like, just in a few sentences. And it's kind of it's kind of nice because it sets the tone for his character, and it really um, shows the emotion he has towards his daughter and everything in a very, very short span of time. So you completely know where he's going to be coming from for the whole movie, except yes. for a few scenes. And this is not a comedy. It's not funny. Just saying. Humorous. Not funny, <laughs> yes. Um... It really isn't, though. I mean, the tone of the movie is there is comedy in it, but it is more of a – I don't know if you'd call it drama because it's not dramatic necessarily, but it's more of just a, a a lighthearted character exploration between he and his daughter more so than it is a laugh-out-loud funny. Yeah, I mean, he is – I mean, there are a lot of characters in this movie. I mean, he is clearly like you know 80% of the movie is him, and everybody else is kind of sort of secondary there. Yep, he has moments with her, and they're very key, important moments. But it's about him. Yeah, and well, it's about him and the transformation of him accepting this. Because what the, the way the movie opens is it shows who he is. He owns an, a shoe company, and his daughter's about to come home. He's just he's walking the floor of of his shoe company, you know, waiting for her to come home, and rushes home as soon as that happens. He's redone her bicycle. Uh, you know, all these things that you would do for, for a little girl, not a 22-year-old daughter. And when he comes home, she's excited to see him. They have dinner, and at dinner, he she drops the bomb that she's decided to get married, even though she's only known this, this guy, Brian McKenzie, that she's going to marry for three months. And that turns into a giant argument, uh, much as I could imagine happening between me and my daughter, um, if same scenario played out. <laughs> But Ryan, I don't see sending your daughter off to Rome by herself un- un- unaccompanied. I'm not sending her out of my sight for five <laughs> minutes, let alone to Rome. No, you are correct. But yeah, I mean, that it. you know where – this is another example, of, we've talked about it a lot on the show, of, of a movie where you know where everything's going. It's the journey along the way that makes the difference. You know, like, you know, she's going to get married from that moment forward. You know that he's going to have a hard time with it. And it's the question of how how it all gets resolved is is the important part of what you're watching, not, you know, necessarily the ends of, of, of her getting married. Yeah. So it's interesting because they have they have the fight and they manage to some, you know, they manage to quickly put those feelings aside because Brian McKenzie, the the groom to be is coming to their house which i found sort of odd but you know uh and, and brian shows up played by george newburn and of course george immediately dislikes him <laughs> whereas diane keaton's character nina his wife uh thinks that that he's a perfect match for their daughter yeah i like how he put so one of the important things he, he well it's not important but it's he, he owns his own sneaker factory and i think it actually plays a little bit more into the next movie than it does this one. as You know, it's kind of sort of like there, but in the second one, like, a few more things happen because he's making more money from the sneaker factory. Um, but he comments that that he's skeptical about him primarily because he's wearing Nikes and not his, his sneakers. Yes. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's an interesting scene because you can, you can immediately see, and I think what makes this, what elevates this movie over what could be a very poor remake of a very classic film is the chemistry between he and Kimberly Williams. So you can see like when she first comes into the house, the the way that he looks at her and she looks at him. And, and even when they're arguing, you can see the chemistry between the two of them. I think it's just really, really well done. Uh, The two of them make a good pairing. Yeah. I, I, I noted that too. I mean, they are, they have a, an amazing screen presence together. I mean, they are a lot, like, you know, it's Steve Martin and Diane Keaton, but you look at them, you say, you could really, they, they seem married, right? Yes. They, they feel like a real couple. There's nothing that seems pretend or make up in that, made up in that whole dynamic that they have. And they play fabulously off each other. Yep. Yeah. And I think, I think the family, Feels like a family, except for Maddie, but that's a whole other story. <laughs> yes, he's like more like the house pet than anything else. Yes, and so Maddie, make... Maddie's the brother. In case you, you haven't seen, yeah, them. they 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 poke fun at it later in the movie, though. I mean, he they kind of do, right? Because he's he yeah, says, they do. 
because he, he makes that comment later on. No, in in the original movie, right? There's um the brother is Ben, right? Uh, yes, I believe and that's I, correct. And I think he's actually an older brother, not a younger brother, right? Yeah, the brother doesn't play much of a role in in either film, to be honest. Right. Yeah, no, no. In either, well, the reason why I was going to bring up the character is because the uh, the actor plays like the grandfather in this movie. The actor who played the brother in the original Spencer Tracy movie oh, okay. is, is is like Steve Martin's dad when they're at the wedding later, but he doesn't really have a speaking role. So right. But he's he's yeah. I I just found that out while while reading about it, so I just wanted to mention it. Well, there you go. I I have to give credit to Kimberly Williams because. How many actresses would be willing to take on a role made famous by Elizabeth Taylor? Yeah, yeah, it's hard <laughs> to say, yeah. <laughs> I mean, if you think about it, look at the star power in the movie, right? You've got Steve Martin, you've got Diane Keaton, you know, both of whom are... Diane Keaton is an Oscar-nominated actress. Steve Martin, I'm not sure if he has been, or he probably should have been for some of his roles probably that came after this, like Spanish Prisoner or some of those things. But, you know, really high-profile actors, and here she is making her, you know, first big breakthrough role in, in this movie. In fact, it was her first film, and she's taking on a role that Elizabeth Taylor made famous. That's pretty big shoes to fill. Yeah. Uh, but I think she does great at it. I think she does fantastic. So the, the next part of the movie is, is George and Nina going to meet Brian's parents. And, of course, Brian's parents are filthy rich. They live in Bel Air. And, you know, George is the whole way through. I love the way that he is sniping about the fact that they probably live in a shack or, oh, they live in the biggest mansion. You know, like, it's obvious <laughs> that nothing is going to be good enough. No matter what it is, there's going to be something wrong with it. Yeah, it, it's it's kind of sort of funny because she's, like, excited. Like, he's as, – as neg- for every ounce he gets negative, she gets positive – do you notice yes. that throughout the movie? Yes. <laughs> Her outlook is very rosy, and his outlook is very cloudy. Yeah, that that's an understatement, yes. But as someone who has a really great relationship with their in-laws, it's really great to see that portrayed. Usually, in most, of the, most movies you have, it's typecast where the in-laws are not going to get together. Right. Um, no, you're right. You're absolutely and, right. And in this movie, it's the opposite way around, where the in law, you know, where she's really excited to be, you know, merging families, and they seem to be really open to it as well. And in fact, they they mentioned they meet Yami, which was surprising to them because you know they hadn't heard that. Right. right. That that was kind of sort of interesting because I I, I in my notes I refer to them as the Jays because they're John and jo- Joanna, so I just call them the Jays. <laughs> yeah, because yeah. I don't like saying Mackenzie's either. I don't find McKen. I mean, no offense to anyone named Mackenzie. It's just a very hard <laughs> name to say. You just turned off all of our Mackenzie listeners. Oh, I'm really sorry. Don't they have their own but Mackenzie it, podcast? They, they might. The Mackenzie Hour. Sorry. We should we should copyright that. Cheryl, get that for us if you don't mind. Uh, but so here's here's where I have an issue with the movie. Okay. Um, we talked about Frank earlier, but like, so when they're at the McKenzie's household, they are, you know, George gets into trouble because he goes upstairs to use the bathroom and he starts nosing around. He breaks the mirror. He starts finding the bank book. Then he ends up falling, you know, throwing it out and falling off of the, or not really falling, but sort of climbing down from the second floor and <laughs> Nina's distracting. I mean, like, it's funny. Don't get me wrong. Like, it's funny, but yeah. tonally it doesn't fit with the rest of the movie. It's also a very long. It's very long and drawn out. Yes, it is. I, I, I do agree. This is not the best scene in the movie. But it is a good. But but I think they have to have it because we'll learn later why they have to have this scene. Oh, okay. We'll learn later. Dun, dun. But yeah, it gets it gets brought up again in the yeah. movie. Yeah, no, I know. Yeah, and the, and in in the original, this same scene does not involve such. Antics, I guess I would say. It's basically Stanley Banks, the, the Spencer Tracy character, you know, has, has a few too many drinks and falls asleep. Because of, because of the party's so awkward, he just keeps drinking, and he okay. falls asleep. So it's, it's much more underplayed, but I think still as funny, because Spencer Tracy's a, a, a fabulous actor. Not that Steve Martin isn't. They're, I think they're both very good. I just, 
like tonally it doesn't fit the same as this. No, it, it's a very Steve Martin comedy moment rather than drama moment. I mean, because like you said, he falls out the window. He's trying to get the thing back in. He throws it. The maid hits it with her thing. Right. And there's the whole thing with him trying to fish it out of the pool, and the dogs show up. It's just like endless failure, right? Right. It's very slapsticky and very like over the top comedy. Which the next the next part of the movie when they go to see Frank is is a very similar thing, right? I mean, Frank and his assistant Howard Weinstein are <laughs> so like hilarious. Don't get me wrong, love Martin Short. I think he's fabulous in this movie. Um, but the two of them are so over the top <laughs> that they don't fit with any other character in the movie. But that's the point. Right. Oh, I know. I know it's the point. Yeah, it's, okay. but, but you know what I'm saying? Like, like there's almost two two kinds of movies going on. There's an over the top comedy, and then there's this kind of small personal drama, and the two don't really go together. Um, I I guess I I think it's more to. So here's the thing: as over the top as Frank and Howard are, right? Is Truth is that there are points in this movie where George himself is way more over the top than they are. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, right. you're right. I mean, for, for all that they are, they're just they're, – they're at the end of the day, they're trying to do their job and make money at their job, and they do their job very well, despite how crazy they are. Yes. This is true. Yeah. But I think the difference is, right, is that George has a reason to be over the top, right, because – even even the scene that we talked about that we didn't think worked so well with him going crazy at the Mackenzie's house, yeah, is you you can accept it a little bit because you know he's he's getting driven crazy by this whole marriage idea. Just just the idea at that point, just even the idea of his daughter getting married is driving him nuts. Yeah. And then you know later it shifts to other things about the wedding that are driving him crazy. Right. Well, y- you understand that his his inability to accept the wedding itself as even occurring is is personified in the Frank character, right? You get that that's what's going on. Yes. Okay. Absolutely. Because because that is exactly why he constantly cannot understand Frank's accent until at the very end of the movie with the cars, right? Yes. And suddenly they have this moment where they have a meeting in the minds and he's accepted everything and he understands everything Frank is saying and Frank's accent hasn't changed. But at this point, because he's not accepting the wedding, he can't understand anything Frank is saying. Yes. No, I, I understand the purpose of the character, and I understand and, – and I actually – like I said, I think the character's good, and I think the, the actors do a good job with it. It's just it, – like I said, and, and I, I will caveat this 100 percent by saying that, again, now putting myself in the Steve Martin role, this movie is not funny. <laughs> I had this same experience with another movie, Meet the Parents, the Ben okay. Stiller movie, which is yeah. not, you know, not, not kosher Disney, for all yeah. of our, yeah, for all of and, our uh, younger guests. That's right. I had this same experience with that movie because when I watched that movie as someone who has gone through that and gone to Meet the Parents, that movie was not funny to me. I'm like, no, no these are the things that I would that I went through, and it's the same thing with this. I have not yet gone through my daughter getting married, but I have gone through a, a, a younger acquaintance who has gotten married where I felt very similar things to Steve Martin's character. So it was very hard for me to watch this movie, to be honest. I can understand that. I, I can. Uh, whereas, whereas like the Spencer Tracy version I watched um, after said wedding a few, a few months ago, and, and that one I actually – that one was a little more heartfelt. It wasn't even though it is a comedy. It wasn't over. It wasn't trying to be abundantly funny. It was much more subtle comedy, and I think that's where I preferred that version. That is not at all to say this one is bad because it's actually very, very good. I think, but that's a whole other discussion. Uh, so what what ends up started what, what starts happening with Frank and Howard Weinstein and Nina and um, Annie is we start getting into the pricing and how they are going to throw the wedding and it eventually comes around to they want to have the wet the, re- the wedding in a church and the reception in uh, the banks's house but not before george suggests that they have it at what is it the stake pit 
the steak pit. I, that's, that's, that co- actually, that conversation is the impetus for getting the wedding planner, right? Yeah, that's right. Be- because, because Nina's already had a conversation. She's already apparently talked with the Jays, right? Because she makes a point that the Jays want to contribute to the wedding as well. They don't want it to be all them paying. And George is, like, very stubborn about that, but I have a feeling that... I can't blame him. Okay, that's fine. I don't... I, that I don't understand, but okay. <laughs> I understand. It's, it's, it's a father thing. Okay. Uh, but, yeah, so they, they have... A dis- <laughs> it, is technically, I, it is technically etiquette. Yes, exactly. I will, I will check my book because I actually... When I, <laughs> when I unpacked, I found my etiquette book. So it's on the bookshelf. I can go, uh, go yes, check te- it. Technically, the father of the bride is supposed to pay for the wedding and the reception. The, 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 yes. the, the parents of the groom are supposed to pay for the rehearsal dinner. Yes. Uh, and, I be- and I believe the gifts, technically. Yes, yes. It's, it's a whole thing with the deal. Yeah. But um, I, I just love that he suggests th- that when, when they bow out of the steak pit idea Annie, and Annie says that she wants to have the wedding at home, he, has, he envisions not a big... <laughs> Wedding, yes. he envisions a barbecue in his backyard. <laughs> Which, of course, any dad would be like, absolutely! <laughs> yeah, I like that, too. I thought that was good. But when, when we start going through what Franck's doing, it's, it's you know, we're going to have this ex- very expensive cake, this, you know, $1,200 cake. We're going to have, you know, the mo- we're going to clear out the house. We're going to do, you know, we're going to have this expensive food, et cetera, et cetera. And it keeps, you know, for George, he's just adding up the price in his head, going over and over and over again, until he finally gets a call from Howard Weinstein on the floor of his shoe factory, and he can't quite understand what Howard says. And he thinks he says $150 a head, when in fact it's $250 a head. (laughs) That's right. Actually, the cake scene um, brings back, um, it kind of gives a price point to the wedding, if you pay attention. Because, um, like, okay, so they show the prices on the cakes, and she picks a $1,200 wedding cake. Yeah. And that seems to reflect, like, the price point of the wedding. In fact, in fact, he, in fact, they, he even says they, they, he was not included in planning after he picked the cake. Okay. So I think, I think that kind of gave, you know, again... Have, have- do you remember using – so Cheryl and I used a wedding planner for our wedding. I don't know if you did, but we did. We and, kind of did, yes. Yeah. And so here's the thing, right, is they give him the price of the wedding, and then some scene 20 minutes later at the house, they're discussing the menu. And I'm thinking, how do you come up with the price per person if you haven't discussed the menu yet? Because it's really – at least half of that is the food cost. <laughs> yeah. Oh right? yeah, the, the chipper, the chipper chicken scene. As a <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, in case people were wondering, really quickly, it was two hundred fifty dollars a head, right? Is what yes. Howard is what Howard tells him. Not our wedding, baby. Not, not our wedding. So <laughs> our, our wedding was Nor not ours, nearly by the that way. expensive. Yes. Um, and the final head count was five hundred seventy-two. So if you do the math, that's one hundred forty-three thousand dollars for this wedding. That is quite the wedding. Yes, it is. And that doesn't count the fact that he was flying in family members from overseas and stuff like that. Copenhagen. One, one right? thing. One thing I would like to point out, though, yes. is that a wedding at Disney World is probably still more money than that. Depends. To go to 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 go to Fra- let, let's say you go to Franks at yes. the Grand Floridian. Uh huh. I'm. I assume it would be don't, more. Don't money. you pretty much have to if you want to have a wedding at Disney World now? No, you don't have to. No, you don't. Oh, okay. I've looked into it for a vow renewal since, since again, I did not have a $143,000 wedding. Uh, we've looked into it for, for an anniversary, and you can, you can do it as cheaply as $10,000 at Disney. Good luck actually sticking to that budget once they get their hooks in you, but... <laughs> <laughs> you want this, don't you? Yeah, what the heck? <laughs> exactly. You want Mickey to, to, to perform the ceremony, don't you? <laughs> Actually, I do. I really do. But that's a whole other thing. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so the, the wedding gets gets large very quickly, and this is an ongoing joke in in both this film and the, and the earlier version of how the head count of the of the um, the people who are coming to the reception and the wedding 
you know, keeps adding up and adding up. So it, it's a running gag that, you know, this person's accepted and more people are coming and more people are coming, which leads to a scene with all of them sitting at the kitchen table with the invitations trying to figure out who they're going to cut out, which is pretty funny. Yes, especially the person that, wait, isn't he dead? <laughs> oh, good. <What>? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, good. And he's like, no, no, bad, but good. <laughs> um, so he actually makes a comment referencing his uh, – his probably his most famous movie, which is The Jerk, okay, yes. is because he actually makes a comment that he doesn't want to end up uh, wandering the streets in a bathrobe, right? Exactly. Bank- bankrupt, and that's how The Jerk starts. In ca- for those people who haven't seen it, so yep, it's a nice little nod if you if you've seen that movie. And yes, you're Steve Martin. But yeah, that's that's the funny part, and it, it's he he's still at this point, you know, just not really wanting to accept the wedding itself, and not let alone the price. And the, it, it finally becomes a, an issue when he uh, he tries on his tuxedo, and it's you know obviously too small for him. But he does <laughs> mention dancing around, uh, and when he comes downstairs, of course, Frank and the, uh, the the wedding planners have taken over the house, and they're just basically tearing it to pieces. <laughs> yes, he does. He goes, "What's new, pussycat?" Whoa! <laughs> uh, but um. He, he actually, there's a scene in between there when they have the argument at the wedding list, and then he finds Annie sleeping on the couch, right? Oh, yes, yes. And, and he sees that, that instead of staying mad at him, he ac- she actually tries to start shoestringing the budget a little bit because she starts reading all these articles as right. to how to like cook your own cake and stuff like that. But um, it, this actually plays to a recurring theme. In the movie, that because he keeps saying throughout the movie, but it never actually happens that he's stepping back and just letting things happen, right? He does this at Frank's office, right? Right. He lets Frank take over, but the truth is, is that he really doesn't get it. He doesn't let go because then we go to the scene with the head count, right? And then he sees Annie on the couch, and he realizes that this is something she really wants, and he's like, he'll just shut his mouth, but he doesn't, right? Because, like you said, then the next scene plays into him going, uh, going a little uh, crazy on Frank there. Yeah, he does. Yes, the chipper he goes, scene. He, yes, he goes off about the, the – Bronx trying to tell him what he's going to have, and he goes off about the chipper chicken. Um, Todd, you had mentioned somewhere around this time you found an Avengers reference? Oh, yes. So uh, we can just – it's actually not a person. Well, it is a person, but I mean it's not, it's not somebody who stars in the movie. So uh, Ryan had made this request. as like, we've done Star Wars references, so maybe we should throw Avengers references in now as well. Yes, we okay. should. I think, I think should. Cheryl does have a Star Wars reference, everybody. I, she, I think she mentioned that to me. But my Avengers connection is that it's is the soundtrack. Because yeah. the soundtrack for Avengers is done by Alan Silvestri, but the soundtrack for this movie is also completely done by Alan Silvestri. So, just, and he does a fantastic job of it, I might add. On both. Yeah. I think and, this- the score definitely adds to this movie. And my connection is um, Brian McKenzie um, does a voice for one of the video games for Star Wars. Does he? Yep. So, yeah, George Newbert, you know what he's most famous for right now, though? What um, his most famous voiceover role is? No. Yes. So he actually is one of the two people well-known for voicing Superman in all the animated sh- shows in the last 15 years. Look at that. Yeah, he splits, he splits time with Tim Daly who's harder to get these days than he is, so he does. So I just thought that that was interesting. So he's Superman, folks, right there. Yes, he is. Yeah, so George George has a little little meltdown here because his tuxedo, when he's going off on Frank and the chipper chicken and he's going off on the guy who's drilling a hole in his ceiling and why they're going to have swans in the front yard and, you know, all this crazy stuff that's swirling around him, he tries to help the guy open the door and his tuxedo rips and... You know, he gets sent to the uh, to the supermarket to get some things, and he goes and he is he is removing hot dog buns from the hot dog package so that he can match up the hot dogs with the hot dog buns that he needs. Right, the endless. This is this is the food version of park on driveways and drive on parkways. Yes. Which, <laughs> by the way, I went shopping for hot dogs and hot dog buns on Sunday before watching this movie. <laughs> does not happen anymore. They have finally matched the buns with the hot dogs. That's good, because I always felt that, you know, if it really bothers you that much, just figure out the least com- the 
common denominator and, you know, figure it out from there. But what ends up happening is he gets into a confrontation with the supermarket manager and ends up arrested. And probably the best <laughs> Diane Keaton, Steve Martin scene in the movie happens when she comes to bail him out. Because if, if you're married, you will relate to this scene. Am I right, guys? <laughs> Happens a lot in our house. <laughs> yeah, mine too. Because she comes to the jail and basically refuses to get him out until she calls him on every last little tick or twitch or eye roll that he's been doing uh, that is basically harming Annie's enjoyment of her wedding. And yes. makes him promise not to do them anymore uh, in order to, to bail him out. <laughs> it. it Yes, but that's the important thing, right? Is it is it is it's not a promise for Nina. Nina Nina's used to putting up with his garbage. It's for it's for Annie. Yes, that's that's the entire point. Because that's the only she says all this stuff, but she says the only thing that he has to repeat is that he's doing it pro, promise to act his age and for his daughter's happiness. So, right. Um, and, and then we, he, once he finally gets out and everything's calmed down, then, of course, the, the Mackenzies have to stir things up again because they bring over the gifts, which include a car for the two uh, engaged folk, whereas George has gotten them a cappuccino machine, which he's slightly embarrassed by, uh, yeah. but Annie does love it. So the daughters know. That's what I'm saying. They're smart. They get it. <laughs> Uh, but but going back to kitchen appliances causing issues, uh, Brian gets Annie a blender, and this causes the entire wedding to be called off. That's it, the short version. It also <laughs> causes what I call the happiest millionaire scene. Uh-oh. Go for it, Cheryl. Because, Explain. Uh, well, this is, I, I think this is the happiest millionaire call because he's out – and he's in this, you know, he has this opportunity right then to stop marriage. And kind of like, and kind of like the, so, you know, he has to go out, get, you know, fix this up. John Lawless. So, like John Lawless did. <laughs> so, I, I, can't, I, re- I really, I like, I like that kind of throwback. It's kind of a secret throwback in there. <laughs> yeah. But it, it's an important scene because... Up until this point in the movie, he spent so much effort in his existence hating Brian, right? Yes. I mean, he, he really has. I mean, he's he, – like I said, this is, this is the thing. is he, he, he's, he goes above and beyond what's necessary to hate this boy, right, rather than just spend the time to accept him. And this is the moment where he comes to accept him is he realizes that this kid actually loves his daughter. Yes. Right, and th- that's, that's exactly that's the, it. That's the point of the scene. It says it doesn't matter how he feels; she loves him, and he loves her, and that's good. That's not a bad thing. And he has, and that's where he has to come to accept the whole thing. And this is where the whole part about him and the pool and all that mess comes back that Cheryl mentioned because Annie refuses to believe that her dad did any of those things, and that's part of the reason why she wants to break up with Brian because Brian tells her this story, and she says, "Well, of course that didn't happen." <laughs> unfortunately for her yes it did yeah it's uh it's very it, it, it's kind of sort of funny right but he he comes back and he makes he doesn't just when, when george comes back he has her go downstairs to say something to brian and she does she's still reluctant to and then he goes and he's like well you remember that thing that he told you about their house and he's like yeah that happened but with anybody else, uh, so the end of the scene, they make up, and they, they are, like, making out on the stairs right in front of George. <laughs> Is anybody yeah. else a little uncomfortable with that? <laughs> that was a little awkward. Well, this play, so earlier in the movie, they have a very awkward scene as well, right? Because they're, yeah. they're in the living room, right, talking. This is the first time he and Nina are meeting them. And that whole scene is, is equally awkward because they're talking about going around the European countryside and staying at inns together. Yes. And, he's, and he's feeling up her, knee, her leg in front of yes. his parents. And the yes. conversation is to his parents. And I, I'm thinking, that's not really – that's no good. Even I don't no, even no, have – No, bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, at this point, I don't like Brian McKenzie at this point in the film. <laughs> yeah. Whereas George has become to, uh, come to accept him, I want to punch him. 
<laughs> oh, but what's great is the, the, the very last sequence before we get to the actual wedding part is um, neither Annie nor George can sleep. And they they come outside. They've had this running theme throughout the the movie of you know there's a basketball goal in the front yard and uh, George and Annie have been playing one on one against each other at various moments throughout the movie. So they go out in the front yard and she's standing there shooting, just trying to take her mind off of things. Yeah. And it that that's the moment when he's finally accepted everything, and they have a, a, a touching conversation, and he finally says to her, you know, this is the moment I'll remember the rest of my life, and it starts snowing in Southern California. Yeah. It, 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 which, so here's the thing, right? There's two things going on in this scene that are Steve Martin moments, as I like to call them, okay? Mm-hmm. And um, Steve Martin has, this, is, has been an L.A. resident for much of his life, okay? This is, okay? And uh, he has this fascination with it snowing in L.A. This comes up in a, in a few of his movies. Probably the other one that you might remember it best in would be L.A. Story, Right, yes. he's a he's a weatherman in that, and he he, I think he falsely predicts it snows and then it does snow. Is that what happens? Some something like that. I happens. think so. Yes. It's been a while since I've seen that movie. Okay, but this is this is this is my thing. It's that he it's it snows in that movie too. He has this thing with playing basketball in some movies, right? That's that's the other thing. Like yep. Roxanne has basketball scenes in it, and I mean these Correct. he. And and it's good because there, I think he intentionally works those vehicles into the film because to him they're meaningful things. Like I think that story about him not seeing it snow in L.A. since he was nine, I think that's like a real story. I think that's from his own life kind of thing. Yeah, I, I would so, not doubt that bit, yeah. And, um, and so I think that he just – those are the kind of – you know, memory magic moments to him is, is life's problems can be solved on a basketball court. That's what he's trying to say here. Right. The, the one movie I wanted to mention that we didn't mention was um, one with um, planes, trains, and automobiles is another one where it it's it's like the start snowing. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah, it does. <laughs> it does indeed. Um. Well, wait, wait. I just want to also mention that the scene, the scene like before this is where Maddie has the moment with with George. This is like Maddie's yes. like third line in the movie or something like that. And he goes, "Don't worry, ja- Dad. There's no permanent damage for having ignored me for the entire film." <laughs> like I don't, I don't really understand why he's in the movie. No, well, because he was a Culkin at at the at the heyday of the Culkins. That's why. So then we, we finally get to the wedding, and we have George walk walk Annie down the aisle, which, again, painful scene. Not in, not something I want to watch in, over and over again. It is navy blue polyester Armani. Yeah. <laughs> which becomes a running gag. <laughs> it didn't actually look bad, but it's kind of just funny the way that Frank is like, no, no, that's navy blue. Yes. <laughs> And, and when they finally get back to the house, it is basically the entire part of the of the, the reception at the house. Um, we already talked a little bit about the car part, but it's all about him not being able to connect with Annie before she leaves. I mean, basically one crisis after another happens to where he cannot make his way through his hugely packed house to get to his daughter, to dance with her, to see her off, to say goodbye, to do anything. You know, he misses the entirety of the reception because of all the different things that are going on, including, you know, cars parked out in the street. Yeah. But he's t- – this is a the moment where it all comes together for him though, right? Because yes. there, when he the, – there's a reception at the house, right? And he goes he goes into his reception. He's the last person in line, right? That's I thought that was pretty yes. funny. Okay. And he um, – what, what's very interesting is – He's looking to give her a kiss. He wants to dance with her. She wants to dance with him. They can't find each other for the whole reception, basically. But he walks in, and he has this moment where he's just looking around the room at all his family members. And, you know, I, I think he realizes that, that he may never have what he considers to be a greater moment than that, right, than, yeah. than seeing his family. I mean, they don't say it at all, but it, I, I can, that's what I envision he was feeling at that moment. Yeah, he kind of hints at that a little bit. I can't remember the exact line, but he kind of 
it, it, he doesn't come right out and say that, but it's something to that of, to the effect of you know that this is this is a moment or this is this is you know what we've been working for something. I can't remember the exact line of dialogue, but he does say something along those lines. Yeah. <laughs> and the kids driving the car, the cop scene. <laughs> Yeah, I mean that's another one where I'm like, oh, like, like this is funny and it's cute, but it doesn't necessarily fit in with the rest of the movie. But I mean, it's it's cute and. But how do you even end up with all the cars jam packed onto the street like that? I have no idea. I wanted right. the exact same thing. Uh, that that's every time, and that's honestly, of all the things that go on in the movie, this movie, that's the only thing that I look at and go, why is this even happening? I I, I can't answer that question. <laughs> I mean, there's sidewalks. You just keep parking further and further away, but you put people against sidewalks, not in the middle of the street. Who does that? <laughs> I want to know how the cops got in there. I Apparently, they're great drivers. Uh, yeah. Or they walked. They have an AT-AT. No, we saw their car. <laughs> you saw the flashing lights. I'm like, how did they get in there with the street packed with cars? Like, I literally see. where you can't move them. It was a police AT-AT, I'm telling you. All right. If you it say walk, so, sir. It walked in, stepped over flower beds. <laughs> and swans. And swans, apparently, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so they finally get everything done, and Annie's about to toss the bouquet, and George tries to cut through the house because he knows all the shortcuts, but he keeps getting you know all the people who are there fixing food and everything in the way, and he misses her throwing the bouquet. Nina you know, kind of is upset that, that he missed yeah. it, and you know the house clears out, and it's just George and Nina reflecting on everything, and Annie calls from the airport before she leaves. Yeah, there's a. I like how he says he's taking a shortcut. Yeah, that and never it takes works him what fifteen minutes to get around. Right, it just never works in movies either. It's like it's like it's just a complete setup. I don't. That may be what he was poking at. I'm not really sure, but who knows? Who knows? But yeah, Annie finally calls from the airport uh, to thank him and tell her, tell him that she loves him. And then uh, George has a dance with Nina. Yeah. And that's the end of the movie. Yeah. Painful, painful movie. But painful in a good way. Says you. You don't have a daughter. No. <laughs> though, I, I, though, though, if Bree ever gets married, I'll probably be just like that. So. Yeah, that's that's what I can relate it to. Um, that that I went through recently. That's why this was this was painful for me. So, uh, but but yes, you are correct in, in in somewhat of a good way. It's it's cute. Yes, it that's that's it, the perfect way to describe it. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's it's cute and it's well done and it's well acted and I mean there's not there's I I don't have a lot terrible to actually even say about it. No, no. I mean there's there's it's it's what I would say. Um, I, I, this is probably going to sound wrong, but it's an inoffensive movie. Like, it's not one that you're just going to – it's not one you're going to put on your top ten list of classics. I just, there's one other, um, men, you know, homage moment in this movie to the original. Mm-hmm. Do, you, do you know what it is? Not off the top of my head, no. So the the Venus de Milo statue with the clock in its belly. Yes. Right, that's that they all, right. That, that they get disgusted at. It's it's actually this is a gift that they receive, and, and it's it's literally it's the exact same scene in the original movie. Right, is that they that they have this moment where where the mother and the daughter are unpacking gifts as they come in and put it, setting them out on the table. And in the original movie, they, Elizabeth Taylor makes this awesome face at it. Right, and yes, then she does. and and this this movie too is is uh, Annie makes a really good I really good. Uh, face at it as well and it's just, they kind of just set it there and it's kind of by itself because it's like one of the first gifts to come yes in, in a house full of gifts yes that's a, yeah they had a room for the gifts so it's just kind of like wow yeah it was impressive ah, alright so Father of the Bride painful oh one cameo that we did not mention Eugene oh. Levy auditioning as the uh, singer yes who who comes back in a bigger role in the second movie, but not as the singer? Yes, because he and Steve Martin are comedy gold. Yes, and uh, he and Martin Short grew up together. Yes, fabulous. All right, Father of the Bride, Cheryl. What did you think? What would you rank this one? 
I ranked this um, a three and a half. I like this movie a lot. Um, I'm not sure which one of the ones I like better. I'll, I'll probably get back to get back to people on after we after we review number two. But um, I I I definitely agree. It's not one that you know you're just gonna say let's go watch it. But it's one that says, oh hey, you know, Steve Byrne and Diane Keaton made this you know made this movie and you know. And they have incredible chemistry, and it's it's a, it's a good story to tell. And I, I I really like I haven't seen the original, but I have to say I really like Frank and Martin Short. I'm a big Martin Short fan. Who isn't really? Including Martin Short, big fan of himself. Yes, absolutely. What'd you think? Um, I agree with my wife. Also, a three and a half. I. I, it, it's a very enjoyable movie to sit down and watch. It's not the first movie I'm going to pull off my shelf, for sure. Yeah. If it's on, if I come in in the middle of it, if I come in, you know, if I can only watch the first part of it, it doesn't matter to me that much. I don't feel like I have to see the whole thing through, but I enjoy what I watch when I watch it. Okay. Yeah. It, and um, like, like Cheryl, I kind of sort of feel that it's, it's one of those movies where you, where you do go, hey, you know what? I haven't seen this in a while. Maybe now's a good time to put it in. Yes. Yeah, I, I, I hear you. Yeah. I, I would agree. Yeah. Yeah. Because I, I would give it a three. I have a little more problem with it than you guys. Um, it's a little more painful for me to watch now <laughs> with the daughter. <laughs> but uh, it's, it's, it's exactly what, what we've been saying. You know, it's one of those. It's, it's, it's cute. It's fun. It's it's a good one. I'm glad we watched it for the for the show because it's it's an, it's an interesting um, an interesting movie. Uh, it's well made. You know, nothing. I can't say they they did this wrong or that wrong. It's just you know, it's a well made movie uh, that you don't go out of your way to watch. But uh, I, I would definitely recommend to folks to uh, to check it out now that it's uh, it's been re released. You should you should definitely take a look at it. So until next week, you can keep in touch with us. You can let us know what you think of this show. Go over to DisneyFilmProject.com, and you can leave a comment on the show notes there. You can tweet us at DizFilmProject, or you can go over to Facebook and search for Disney Film Project and let us know what you think of the show there. You can keep in touch with all of us on our various and sundry blogging platforms. You can check out Todd and myself over at TouringPlans.com. Check out Bree's Attractions blogs, my film blogs, and Todd's chief technical wizardry over at DisneyDrivenLife.com. And you can keep up with Cheryl's travails trying to keep this podcast together at about.me slash Cheryl P3. This woman, but she's not a woman. She's just a kid, and she's leaving us. You know, that's not a bad idea. Who else can we ask not to eat? My parents? Your mother? Well, that's the thing about life is the surprises. The little things that sneak up on you and grab hold of you.